people. Hello, my friends, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm your host, Stephen Henning. Hi. And this is my co-host, Dixie Lee Henning. I'm Janet. <laughs> Janet. Yeah. Oh, we just finished The Good Place. Oh, what so a good, good show. I'm sorry. Such a good place. Derailed already. Yep. But this is a podcast where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are... Not a person. No normal people in your <laughs> life. Not... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, we just finished The Good Place, fam. Okay. Season four is so good. Janet is my spirit being. There's some powerful vibes I love her from so that much. show, especially Janet. The comedic timing is just spectacular. Not a woman. Relentless. Not a robot. Joke making. <laughs> Japes and jests. So many You dudes. know what I like, too, is a good blooper reel. Oh, yeah. Mm. Are you going to put ours in, in here? No, I don't think so. This is like our fifth take at this intro. This is like we our can't. seventh take. <laughs> very, you keep saying marker and we keep starting We're very over. giggly. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about bloopers for a second. Because like bloops. What I'm doing is making a reference to A Bug's Life, the classic Pixar film. Ants is better. Excuse me. <laughs> you are officially fired as my co-host. You must leave. That was a joke. Ants Everyone is knows that ants sucks. Get out of here. That was like Woody when they made Allen. Shark Tale after Finding Nemo came out. Just like get on over yourself, it was DreamWorks. Pretty terrible. Yeah. Anyway. But uh just uh, dumping on DreamWorks. What I okay, so I love a good blooper reel, like yeah. The Office. Yeah. Or like I've looked Any up show. I've looked up the bloopers available on YouTube for the good place. Yeah. It's fun to watch characters drop character and like just watch an actor just enjoy their time at work sure everyone should enjoy their time at work i think but the bug's life thing is so <laughs> wild so because good. they had because to they spend took time to edit they and had like to animate all, all of that. that yeah they literally were like we're gonna make bloopers but as ants exactly and it's like <laughs> and then the voice actor had to act as their ant character and then they had to break character into what it was an the actor ants? pretending to be an ant pretending to be an actor pretending to be an ant. Wait, I didn't track with that. I don't want to break it down. That would be too much work. But I seriously. Getting real meta. Marker. <laughs> like, <laughs> marker. What a classic. Classic markers. Oh, so good. Speaking of markers, did you ever have those smelly markers? Yeah, the ones that supposedly smelled like cherry. And then I woke I up like four hours later. <laughs> What? <laughs> Am I just learning that you got chloroformed by it's a marker? Just, <laughs> Do we need to talk off mic, Steven? <laughs> Did you wake up in like a cave? You're like, ooh, cherry marker. And then you woke up, you came too naked in a cave and no. covered in blood. That was a blending of two stories. So I was, I was yes-anding you here, and I definitely have 
smelled the smelly markers that are supposed to smell like fruit, right? Sure. But I've also accidentally fallen asleep with one of those huge Sharpies open. Steven! <laughs> oh my god! Oh my gosh, I wasn't asleep for four hours, but I... But you came to naked in a cave and covered in blood? (laughs) (laughs) I definitely didn't. Are you sure? But uh, Can you be sure? Those big Sharpies are powerful. They are. are. I remember the first time I opened one. Be very careful with those. Everyone remembers the first time they opened one of those giant Sharpies, just like they remember when Michael Jackson died. Wow. Yeah, where were you when Michael Jackson died? I was at camp. Me too. Were we at the same camp? No, I was at- Different um, camp? I was at girls camp. Oh, and I was at church camp. Same thing. Well- Mine had boys at it. <laughs> so there's Did they a, have boys and girls at yours? Yes. Yeah, mine so, was better. So there's a primary difference. But uh, yeah, a girl, big Sharpies. A girl kneeled Michael on, a, Jackson. on a knitting needle Okay. At camp and it went through her leg. Oh, that's pretty rough. That was fun. And then they, One they, time at they camp. bronzed the knitting needle and they hung it in the whoa, cafeteria. Whoa. This one time at camp, <laughs> I dislocated my knee the night before the campers showed up, and then the night the campers showed up, I rolled my other ankle. Because you're special, and I had like two splints, and I was let's just, just talk about all the injuries we've witnessed or personally had nah, at camp. We don't have to do that. It's a but, very long uh, list. Camp is wild. How did we get to this? Don't <laughs> just oh, pro Michael Jackson. Pro tip. Got it. <laughs> if you're a camp counselor. Don't give kids Sharpies. <laughs> that's that's what we're coming. This bad. is what it's we've very, come here to tell you. If there's any kind of moral, this is this is a this is important. This should be we've, it. We've brought you here for this specific subject. Don't right. sniff markers. What's? I'm ready to introduce my new friend. Please, Kat. Dear are you ready God, for this? Let okay. Us get past this, please. So, longtime listeners of No Normal People will be familiar with my friend Stephen Dixon. Torna. Oh. Well. Yeah, you, but Steven <laughs> Torna. I had him on the show and we talked about his love of mixology and like making I was going to say cocktails. his love of wood. He's also an independent contractor and we talked about him doing custom furniture. Yeah. And we talked about the Whiskey Bench podcast that would one day be debuting. Debuting. Featuring Steven Torna, <laughs> Steven Henning. <gasps> I know you. And in the meantime, we've added Cat Dwyer to the mix. Cat? So valuable to have a third voice on a podcast Mm -hmm. like this. It's so valuable to have a third voice that isn't also named Steven. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't find a Stephanie. We were at we were at risk of yeah. yeah. You should have found a Stephanie. A little bit of an echo chamber. (laughs) (laughs) Just calling each other Steven. 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 That was a dumb echo joke. Stephen. But uh, yeah, I met Kat in planning for the Whiskey Bench podcast. Mm -hmm. And I figured it was about time to have her on the podcast yeah. for me to get to know her and for us to spend some time live on a podcast, yeah. getting to know each other. And yeah. it was delightful. Getting to talk about all the, all the things. It was so good. She just recently moved to Montana like Welcome. a year and a half ago after Welcome spending most of, life, most of her life, most of her life in the Bay Area in California, right. like San Francisco, San Jose, all that. And uh, just a little heads up, cat. Always carry bear spray. Apparently, that's a thing. We actually talk about that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, it comes up. I I wasn't in the conversation. Right. 
She's a <laughs> she's a huge outdoors fan, like backpacking, hiking, bear spray, all sort bear spray fan, guns, knives. I mean, I know Bow she's a arrow. bear spray fan. Yeah, that's funny. Bear spray, bear spray fan. fan. Thank you for this. But uh, <laughs> new band name. We also talk about her passion for gardening. Ooh, and we talk about the dream job that is she it? moved to Bozeman for, and that is at Perk in Bozeman, Montana, and that stands for the Property and Environmental Research Center. It's like a Kind of like a third, I don't want to say third party because we specifically talk about how it's not political, but it's like a libertarian think tank looking to solve environmental issues from a free market lens. I have a serious question. I have a serious question for you. Do you know if she gets any benefits for being a part of that group or any perks? Perks. You could say. Thank you for this. (laughs) Thank you for. It took me a second to see which joke you were walking into, but uh, oh. you saw the I'm lights here. come on. Yeah, I didn't did. You? Your your eyes lit up. This is it was powerful. like when when we locked eyes for the first time. Wow, it wasn't like that. Uh, I mean, it was something. Yeah, it was something. Anyway, speaking of perks, my interview with Cat Dwyer <laughs> was fantastic. You're gonna love it. Yeah. Right now, you can actually go subscribe yourself to the Whiskey Bench Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. How dare you veer credit to it's a my different turn. show? It's my turn. <laughs> I know. We're at Whiskey Bench Pod <laughs> on all the social medias, or you could go to podlink.to slash whiskey bench and find all the links there. Lots of perks. Here's the interview with Kat. We are going to get started with rapid fire questions. Kat, are you ready? Yes, I am. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Oceans or lakes? Oceans. Rain or sun? Sun. Tea or coffee? Tea. Early morning or late night? Early morning. Summer or winter? Summer. Beaches or mountains? Beaches, because I'm a California girl. I have to go with beaches. Marvel or DC? Uh, what? <laughs> I don't know what either of those are. Oh, no comic books for you, huh? Like Avengers <laughs> no or Batman comics. or... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Libraries or museums? Libraries. Big party or small gathering? Mm, small gathering. Cats or dogs? Doggos. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Super salad? Salad. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. East coast or west coast? West Coast. Laundry or dishes? Oh, dishes. Sweet or savory? Savory. Do you call it soda or pop? Soda. Hogwarts or the Shire? The Shire. Disney or Pixar? Again, neither. (laughs) Passenger or driver? Driver. Pizza or tacos? Tacos. Vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. Books or movies? Books. Handshakes or hugs? I like a good handshake. Introvert or extrovert? I am an extroverted introvert. You like to recharge alone, but you're not shy. Yes, exactly. Yes. (laughs) That's a perfect description. Perfect. (laughs) Phone calls or texts? Phone calls. There, you did it. Rapid fire over. Feel good? Relax now? Yes. (laughs) All the stressful part is over. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Now, just a... uh, a series of fun like icebreaker questions, starting with some favorites. Uh, so let's start with favorite morning drink. Are we talking like fun time drink or are we talking practical? I need caffeine drink. Uh, dealer's choice, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I love a good bloody. 
but I also, I drink Earl Grey tea every morning. So oh, those are my two morning, my morning jam. Nice. What's your favorite candy? I am not a big candy fan hmm. at all, actually. Not much of a sweet tooth. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite snack then? Solid chips and salsa or chips and guac. The classics. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Those, those are a good snack. Excellent. <laughs> what is your favorite city? Oh, well, I feel like I haven't traveled enough to answer that properly. Okay. But I will say I had an absolute blast in Rome when I traveled to Italy. It's like, wow, it's just teeming with history. The people are friendly and welcoming and the nightlife just like never ends. So it's a total blast. If I was trying to answer that question, just based on like sort of the visual aesthetics of a city, Mm -hmm. I would have to say probably San Francisco. Mm, Yeah. Which is my, I lived there for a few years and, and that's my, the big city in the Bay area, which is where I, where I was raised. And it's just beautiful. It's so unique. It's this tiny little city on this peninsula with just incredible views, rugged California coastline, like hiking everywhere surprisingly like throughout the city so yeah oh so rome or san francisco i guess both are fantastic answers i like that a lot yes okay (laughs) um what is your favorite novel oh um i'm a huge steinbeck fan oh okay Uh, again my like california roots Mm -hmm. um because he wrote about sort of some of my favorite areas like big sur and and sort of that central part of the california coast yeah so I'd say either Tortilla Flat, which is just, it's hilarious, mm-hmm. or To a God Unknown, which is another Steinbeck book that's just, it's really beautiful. Oh, wow. My introduction to Steinbeck was Grapes of Wrath in high school. Mm. I, he's one of those authors I need to revisit, and I know he's a classic for a reason, but I have a, like a bad taste in my mouth left from high school, you know? Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, <laughs> that, that that's probably because it was just one of those... I thought I had better things to be reading. I don't know. Yeah, you're being forced to read it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's something that changes your impression of a book when it's an assignment, but Yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite smell? Uh, my favorite smell. I would say I love freesias. It's my favorite flower. Yeah, that that scent that scent makes me happy. Mm. That or like warm pine, like a pine tree warmed in the sun. That's another like scent with a lot of good memories associated with it. Those, those are great ones. Yes. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. Yes. All the way. Yes. <laughs> and I always ask this with mint chocolate chip people, uh, cause I'm one myself. Do you like when the ice cream is that like goofy green color or when it's more cream and just like mint, uh, flavor to it? I like the green. Yeah. I, you that's know, the right I'm answer. familiar with yeah. the green. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, it's the traditional way, right? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What are foods you will never eat? Oh, foods I'll never eat. I'm not, sadly, I'm from the Pacific coast, but I'm not a huge seafood person. Mm, okay. So there's, so, you know, like I've tried to get into oysters and mussels and I just, I can't get it. Yeah. It's, it's not my jam. That's fair. So probably those. That's fair. Uh, on the, it's like sucking snot, you know? That's just <laughs> oh, like, who, what, who wants that? What a mental <laughs> image. Oh, yes. <Yeah>. Thank you. 
So on the other side of that, then what is your absolute favorite meal? I, you know, either like a really proper carnitas street taco Mm. or chili verde. Mm. Chili verde is just, I mean, that's like the ultimate comfort food for me. Uh, uh, Yes. Sell it. Thank you for this. (laughs) I'm hungry now. Dang it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Who would you say is the smartest person you know? And this could be, you know, personally or, you know, of. Okay. Um, I would say my grandfather was just by far the most brilliant man or person mm. um, mm-hmm. I probably will ever know. He's no longer with us, but he was a stockbroker and like a wealth manager and had a head for economics. But he also was sort of just like, he was a self-taught amateur historian, philosopher, theologian, poet i mean he just had such a wealth of knowledge on such a wide variety of subjects wow. yeah he was the kind of guy like when he would talk like the room would get quiet and everyone would listen because they knew like he had something Ooh. valuable to share so that's a, yeah definitely that's a definitely good him. metric right like everyone shuts up to listen to this guy oh yeah exactly. so cool <laughs> yeah he was okay a, he was a good man oh. do you have a secret talent A secret talent. Um, Well, I would say maybe it's more of a secret amongst my Bozeman friends. Um, Mm. But I'm I'm a pretty good dancer. I've been told on more than one occasion that I'm like, (laughs) I can do it. Yes, nice. There's no opportunities to dance here, though. So I never get to out here, which is a bummer. But I do love to dance. So Oh, so cool. (laughs) What was your first job? My first job, my first like proper job that lasted for a sub- substantial amount of time was working at this little restaurant called the Haymarket, mm. which was like this sort of bougie farm to table spot, you know, when that whole trend was first really uh, taking off. And mm, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I worked, I'd never worked in a restaurant before. And I don't know if you have, but it's, there's a very distinct like culture around that. I worked in the back of the house and the front of the house, which was sort of also kind of unusual. Like usually you're you're either a server or you're, you know, working on the line in the back and I was able to do both, which was actually a very cool experience. Um nice. cuz chefs are like working with chefs. It's I mean, you got to have thick skin. And you got to be able to like dish it right back but it was a blast and then uh-huh, uh, yeah a few of my cousins ended up working there and then one of my cousins who helped me get the job there she ended up falling in love and marrying the head chef slash owner so it kind of became like a family joint and i worked there wow. like off and on for wow i don't know four or five years yeah so that the hay market those were good memories at that spot sweet what was your first pet Oh, my first and only pet, this sweet pup named, we named her Blackie. My dad named her. Mm -hmm. She was a mutt, but mostly border collie. She looked like a border collie. Mm. And she was just the most like mild mannered, not, you know, she wasn't a hyper yappy dog. She was just, she didn't need to be on a leash. She never barked at anybody. She was just, she was the best. Blackie, yeah. It was great. So good. So good. <laughs> Lived to be 16. Have you ever heard of a dog living that long? I Whoa. mean, she just, Whoa. we never took her to the vet. Whoa. Towards the, this is actually kind of funny. Towards the end of her life, she started like boycotting her dog food. And so my dad, he just kind of said, well, to hell with it. We're just, I'm going to feed her what I eat. So every morning <laughs> she would get 
either peanut butter toast or oh my gosh. toast with a fried egg. Oh my gosh. <laughs> eat that every morning. That dog was living it yeah. up. Oh, yeah. She really was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a historical hero? Um, a historical hero? Uh, I guess I would say maybe Ludwig von Mises. Mm. He's my favorite economist. And he's sort of one of the fathers of the Austrian school classical liberal thinking and yeah and he kind of had a a fascinating life he like escaped austria in the 40s and uh like in 1940 i believe and then came Mm. to the u.s and became you know one of the most prominent economic writers and thinkers of the 20th century wow so yeah i'd say him great that's a a wow thank (laughs) you yes he's sort of also another reason why i'm a big fan of him like like he taught hayek so if you know uh, anybody out there who okay. who knows economics and free market economics, like he taught Hayek, and Hayek is sort of a godfather of this whole world, right? Absolutely, so he, yeah. Okay, I see it. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. So back to a goofy question: What was the worst fashion trend you've ever participated in? Oh boy! <laughs> oh <laughs> boy! <laughs> I went through this very funny phase my first few years of high school where. For a long time, I thought I wanted to go into that, like the field of fashion design and okay, which I eventually decided I did not want to be in that world. But for a while, I was enamored with it. And I, uh, my family, my friends jokingly call it my old lady phase, but I was like really into like gigantic sunglasses and my hair was huge. And I, wow. like, I don't know, I would have like big bangle bracelets and it was just this whole i don't know there was like it was like mary kate and ashley olsen twins were like anorexic and chain smoking and you know wearing oversized clothes it was like it was that okay it was like the whole like hip or homeless thing i i was really into that i see wow wow yep I I love asking that question for that reason (laughs) and this is this is like how far it almost went you know those glasses for the elderly with like cataracts that literally like the shade wraps around yep, the side. Yep. I was I thought those were like sick. <laughs> Whoa. Like that was gonna be <laughs> the next trend. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so many yeah. ideas yeah. of what was gonna be popular. <laughs> That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh <laughs> what is your biggest pet peeve? Oh, my biggest pet peeve people chewing with their mouth open Mm, yep yep can't stand that sound yep that smacking nastiness oh it's it's the worst yeah Yeah. (laughs) if you could have one superpower what would it be oh you know well flying would be awesome of course yes but i i think i would choose like time travel Mm. and time travel in a way where like I could go back in time and just observe things Mm. and not, you know, sort of warp the future with my actions, but just like being able to go back and like watch some epic battle or something like that. That'd be cool. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. More like, like bring up the, (laughs) bring up the revolutionary war on TiVo or something. Just like watch it on a TV for a little while. Yeah. Cause you don't want any like back to the future kind of nonsense going on. (laughs) Like you accidentally unwrite yourself. Right. Yeah. That's too much work. I, I just want to be able to sit back and observe some neat moments that's, in time. <laughs> that's good. I like that. 
Who would you call your best friend? Oh, well, I have to say, I've got a couple very dear friends and they know who they are if they're listening to this, but uh, I have to pick my good buddy, Alicia Graziani. I have known her literally my entire life. Our parents went to high school together. Whoa. And like our dads played football together. Like Whoa. we've known each other. Our, she met my siblings, my older siblings before I was born. She's nine months older than me. So like we've been, we've been through it all. So yeah, definitely BDG oh. is what I call it. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to date, what would you claim as your proudest achievement? Wow. That's a tough question. I would say, well, I had a goal. One of my goals growing up was to eventually be published one day. Mm. And I've had like seven or eight op-eds published, some of them in obscure outlets, some of them in more mainstream outlets. <laughs> wow. Of course, when I set that goal, I didn't realize how like relatively easy it is to be published in that capacity. Sure, but, sure, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's something I'm proud of. Wow, that's so cool. Okay, the last icebreaker here. Uh, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? I think the, f- the earliest memory I have of, of sort of dreaming about my future career would be I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be, I wanted to write fiction. Mm, mm. I still, I still actually would like to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Being a writer. What were some of the like inspiring authors that kind of pointed you in that direction? I, we've mentioned Steinbeck already. Are there others that you like to come back to uh, as far as like inspiration for fiction? Ayn Rand was a big one for me. Mm. I know we've talked about that a little bit before. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Ayn Rand, that sort of set me on this whole like dystopian theme for a while. And I have a handful of started or outlined, but unfinished short stories that are sort of in that vein. So yeah, definitely Ayn Rand. Oh, so cool. Well, Kat Dwyer, that's the end of the rapid fire and icebreaker. So welcome. Thank you so much for being on No Normal People. I'm excited to get to know you more, especially as you and I kind of look into the future of being podcasting partners together. Yes. Which we'll definitely (laughs) talk about later. But let's get introduced to you a little bit. Will you tell me about where you grew up and what your family was like growing up? Yeah. Well, I am from California, from the Bay Area, and I grew up in San Jose, which wasn't really a known place. I mean, it was a big suburb at the time, but Mm -hmm. uh, now it's sort of the heart of Silicon Valley. So now most, I think most people know of San Jose, but uh, yeah, I grew up there and my parents got divorced when I was four. Mm. Um, Yeah. I have an older, I have two siblings. I have an older sister who is nine years older than me. And then um, an older brother who is seven years older than me. Mm, Okay. When I was growing up, there was such a gap that they were kind of out of the house when I was a little tyke. Right, yeah. But I had Alicia. So that's, you know, in our lives sort of paralleled. Our parents got divorced around the same time mm. and for similar reasons. And and so she and I just were sort of, we were thick as thieves. and Might um, as well be sisters at this point, right? Yeah, we basically were sisters, oh, absolutely. So. So good. And are, yeah. 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 So walk me through uh, maybe like the growing up process. Uh, let's use a framework of like, education i guess so like were you moving while you were going through like k through 12 how how did that all work for you and where did you end up graduating high school 
Yeah. So I did private Catholic schooling from the time I was in kindergarten all the way through high school. Mm -hmm. And so, well, so when my parents got divorced, my father stayed in the home that I was born in. And then my mom moved like 13 times <laughs> We wow. moved by the time I, I stopped living with her. Wow. She's moved more since, but I moved 13 times with her. So wow. she just kind of kept migrating all around uh, the Bay Area. And it, yeah, it, it was kind of funny. It was, I feel like I've, I've lived sort of like two different experiences because I have a childhood home that I've, that, you know, my father still lives in, but then I've also been in like a million condos and townhouses and apartments and wow. houses yeah, and things. Okay. But yeah, I went to the same school, St. Christopher's from kindergarten through eighth grade. And then the high school I went to shared a fence with that school. So I was on like literally the same oh, block geez. for oh, geez. a really, really <laughs> long time, like over a decade. Yeah, right on. <laughs> and I was the, so the high school I went to is called Presentation. It was a college prep and all girls. Hmm. Yeah. And I was the last of how many Dwyer girls? So my cousins went there and my sister went there. So I think I was the last of, I was the fifth Dwyer girl to go there. Wow. Yeah. And the youngest of my cousins, I have a ton of cousins on my dad's side of the family. Oh, so, okay, sure. Yeah. So they kind of, that school knew of us. They had fond memories of some and a, maybe some frustrating yeah, memories of that. There's a legacy of that last name in the in those halls. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. So after high school, Talk me through like what happened after high school. Did you go straight to college? If so, what did you study? And any, I guess, stories in between? So there's no way to answer this question easily. <laughs> um, but I, so I, right after high school, I went to um, San Francisco State and mm. moved up to the city, moved into the dorms there and was majoring in creative writing. And I was 18 and living in San Francisco <laughs> and trying to make friends, you know, none of my, none of my buddies from high school went there with me. So yeah, I, okay. I was, you know, amongst new, a new group and, uh, was just much more focused on making friends and exploring the city than I was with pursuing my degree. Aha, <laughs> and aha, yeah, I had a lot of fun <laughs> and a lot of, you know, a lot of great memories some fun nights, but by the end of the first semester, I basically was on, I don't even know if it was officially probation, but they basically told oh. me like, you got to sort of get oh. together. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to be able to come back. And so I tried, um, but I just, it was way too little too late, which was a shame because, you know, it truly was one of those things where like, I would write a paper and I'd get an A on it, but I hadn't turned in the other six assignments. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, I, a lot yeah. of my professors were very, they were frustrated with me. Although one was trying to, one, <laughs> one was not, he was a bad influence. He was, he was trying to connect me with an Indian shaman in the desert um, in Southern California who was going to help me, who was going to guide me on a, uh, a peyote trip. So it was a whole, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I take responsibility for being so sort of reckless with wow. my academic career at the time, but I also kind of had some some goofy professors who certainly were, you know, wow. steering me in, in an interesting direction. Yeah. Sure. Um, Gosh. And, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was even, there was one point where, I mean, I don't think I was any like more out of control than other kids, but I just, 
I just, I just ditch class all the time. I, yeah. I I'm a ditcher. It's a problem. Yeah. It's like the it's freshman year syndrome, right? Like I have all this freedom now. Look at me go. Yeah. And then you realize like, well, there's consequences <laughs> for, okay. you know, that trade off. <laughs> and so anyway, so like eventually after the second semester, they told me basically like, you, you can't come back. <laughs> okay. So, oh. so I had to move home and it was a real, it was a real reality check. And I had to move home because I'd never been a bad student before. And mm. I mean, I had started to sort of slack off towards the end of high school. And even then some of my teachers had said like, you're hanging out with the wrong people. And you know, like mm. we have hope for you, but like, you've got to focus. And it took getting kicked out of college <laughs> to really like, drive, to really get it. Drive that point home. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, so then I had to move home, which was a total bummer. And I, I had to start taking classes at the local community college. So then I could transfer to another university. And, um, and mm. then at that point I was just, I mean, I kind of did a total 180 and was like very serious. And I felt like I was 30 all of a sudden, like working full time oh, okay. and taking yeah. classes and like, I was not partying anymore. Sure. <laughs> so, and then eventually, eventually I transferred to San Jose state, which I wasn't super stoked about cause I wanted to get out of San Jose, but that turned out to be a total blessing because by the time I transferred there, I realized I didn't want to major in creative writing. Mm. And I thought, you know, there were sort of other areas that I was interested in that I needed some more formal like training and education in. And so I decided to study economics and turns out San Jose state has a fantastic, like a pretty renowned econ department, totally rooted in like the classical liberal Austrian um, like Chicago school tradition. And it was, it was a fantastic experience. And so mm. it took me a while to graduate, but I, f I eventually did. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now you have a bachelor's degree in economics. Is that what we're I, looking at? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. Talk me through how you end up in Bozeman, Montana from San Jose, California. Yeah. So eventually I, Moved up to San Francisco and was living there for a few years with my best friend, Alicia, mm -hmm. in this incredible apartment in the Presidio, which is a really, really beautiful Ooh. neighborhood of, of the city that's sort of in like the northwest pocket, like just south of the Golden Gate Bridge. Right. And it's oh. actually, it's technically in a national forest, which most people are really surprised when I say that, but there's like this old growth cypress and eucalyptus oh, grove out there. So and that's cool. It's really beautiful. Yeah. It's just, it's spectacular. And so, and it used to be, it actually used to be a military base and they oh. eventually bought it and turned it into a park. Um, the city did. And yeah, so we lived there like right above Baker beach, which is this gorgeous little beach next to the, next to the bridge, half nudist beach. So that's interesting. Mm, <laughs> it was an okay. interesting spot. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. And anyway, I was living there for a while and it was just a really like peaceful place. And it was, I mean, a dream really. And I really loved it, but I kind of, I sort of have to give a backstory to understand why I wanted to move. I had moved up to the city after a pretty bad breakup that was sort of traumatizing. And so mm. I spent a lot of time, I spent like two years just sort of healing there. Yeah. Yep. And I felt like I, I look back on it and even though that transition was painful, I, I look back on it and smile because I grew so much. 
that growth was very empowering. And eventually though, after a couple of years, I kind of just felt, I felt like I plateaued. I felt like I had grown as much as I was going to grow from that experience and hmm. life was good, but I sort of thought, well, like I'm kind of itching for another growth spurt and you know, I can't just, my job was sort of, there was no hope for growth within that organization. I was working at a think tank in Oakland, oh. like a free market, libertarian leaning research institute, and which mm. I loved, but that, that place itself, it was pretty dysfunctional. The, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> the way it was run, it was run by a family and there were weird dynamics. And the longer I was there, the more I realized that it was like oh, really unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. so, so anyway, I was sort of like, okay, this job's a bit dead end and life is good and it's fun, but I feel like I need to push myself again. And so I started looking for other jobs and I found another think tank called Perk the Property and Environment Research Center, and which is based in Bozeman, Montana. And uh -huh. I was looking at their website and I was looking at their content and the photos of, of, you know, the incredible mountain ranges in this far off place called Montana that I had never heard of, well, I mean, heard of, <laughs> but I never thought of, you know, seriously. This distant um, wonderland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I mean, sadly, but it's very true. Like us Californians, especially, you know, from the bigger metropolises, you know, like the, you know, the Bay area or the LA area, like we kind of don't think anything else exists. <laughs> you know, Like it's just yeah, beautiful yeah. California and maybe there's <laughs> New York, but it's, you know, everything else is, why would you waste your time? You know, <laughs> sort sure. of the attitude. Oh yeah. It's harsh, but it's sadly kind of true. And so anyway, I started looking at this place and I realized like, wow, that, that it's in a beautiful location and they do the kind of work I'm interested in and they seem to be more professional than the place I'm working at right now. And and I remember one day I was at work, which is, I probably shouldn't have been looking this up while I was at my other job, but my other, you know, best friend, I would say, Stephanie, she, she worked there. That's how we met and was in my office one day and we were just sort of lamenting the problems with working at that, that place in Oakland. And I showed her, I pulled up Perk's website and I was like, this, this would be my dream job. Like mm. if I could work there, that would be amazing. Mm. And then a couple of weeks later, they were hiring for my exact position that I was doing at, at the think tank in Oakland. And what? Yeah. What? I sort that's... of thought, well, man, that's something <laughs> that's a sign. Right. And right? so I applied and the process was really fast. All of a sudden I found myself packing up a U-Haul and driving out to Bozeman and I, I didn't know anybody. And I had, I had gone out, they flew me out once for an interview, but it was like mud season here, you know, spring. <laughs> and yeah. I sort of thought like, oh, all right, you know, this is, I know it's beautiful. Like it's kind of like a frozen wasteland right now, but like, I know it's beautiful normally. <laughs> and this is what I um, got myself into, huh? Yeah. You know, it was kind of, I was really given up like a pretty comfortable, like beautiful, happy little world that I had made for myself in the city. And, uh, yeah, but I was ready for a change. So yeah, I just pulled the trigger and moved out here. Wow. And how long ago was this? That was about a little less than a year and a half ago. I moved in June of 2019. What? Okay. I did. I had no idea you were such a, like a fresh Montanan. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so <laughs> <Doobie>. good. <laughs> 
so would you would you walk me through like what a like what your roles and responsibilities are like what is a a day in the life of Cat Dwyer at work look like? <laughs> sure. Um, so my title officially is uh, marketing and media manager, and basically I am in charge of Perks Digital Marketing. Okay, and then also their like media outreach. So I manage all of our social media accounts. I do our email marketing. Um, I help with the production of some of the videos that we've started to produce over the last year, mm. put out three. So that was a whole new world to learn, you know, helping writing scripts and figuring out marketing plans for those films and right. you know, working with editors and all of that. Um, and then the, on the media outreach side, I contact journalists and share statements from some of our research fellows on particular, you know, like newsworthy topics. For example, when there's changes to the Endangered Species Act, which there have been a few proposed over the last like two years. Mm hmm. We have some research fellows who focus on that. And so I will pitch their statements on the changes to the media and hopefully we get quoted in an article or they'll write op-eds. I'll help get those placed. So, you know, contacting journalists, contacting editors. And that part's honestly probably the hardest part of my job because sure. it's really it's really hard to get an editor to respond to you. <laughs> so there's a lot of emails <laughs> I send with no response. But every now uh. and then, you know. You crack the door open and right. And yeah, it's a good feeling. So you you're probably accustomed to rejection at this point, at least. Yeah, <laughs> big time. Oh, yeah. Would you introduce me a little bit to what Perk does as an organization? Yeah. So Perk is again that that acronym stands for the Property and Environment Research Center, and we have been in Bozeman for about forty years, and we're the home of free market environmentalism, which. Whenever I say that, often people think that it's an oxymoron and sure, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Right. But um, sort of, sort of our approach to solving environmental problems is to look to the market, and by that I mean we look for cooperative solutions where you don't have to use government coercion in the form of laws or mandates or regulation, but sure. rather you know looking for individuals to resolve some of these conflicts on their own based on free market demand right so instead of like a top-down kind of thing it sounds like it's a lot of uh grassroots like from the bottom up like let's solve this so that the like the end user is in mind and we're actually serving them instead of just like imposing from above am i getting that yes. right okay yeah definitely it's more the solutions are definitely more locally focused mm -hmm. yeah we, we really look at like incentive structures and sort of what are the, Whoa. you know, what are the incentives facing landowners to help conserve habitat for endangered species? And the way like the Endangered Species Act was originally written, it created a lot of disincentives because there was such a regulatory burden on landowners who found an endangered species on their property or a threatened species on their property. And there was no distinction in, in the way a landowner was treated or the way in which, you know, sort of the burdensome regulations were imposed on that landowner, whether they had a, they found a threatened species or an endangered species on their property. So sort of the standard became shoot, shovel and shut up. You know, if you found an endangered species, don't uh, let anybody know that yeah. you had them on your species, right? Okay. So that, and that certainly doesn't help the species. And so we've been looking at sort of ways to, if you were to 
sort of lessen the burden that's imposed when someone finds a threatened species on their property, there's an incentive there to prevent that species from becoming endangered because you know that there's going to be even more financial burden put on you if that were to happen. Mm. And so, yeah, that's that's sort of one one example of how uh, you can, if you change the incentive structures, all of a sudden that species is no longer a liability. You can turn it, you can turn it into an asset and sort of incentivize uh, species recovery. Ooh, that sounds so, that sounds like it's so perfectly built for someone like you, like with an economics degree, with the interests you have. It's like, <laughs> this is, I can see how this is dream job material for you. I, yeah, I was excited to find a think tank that was working on environmental issues from this perspective because there really there aren't many others at all. Sure. Sort of taking this approach and it's becoming it's slowly becoming more mainstream. Yeah, even some other groups, environmental groups, they wouldn't brand it as free market environmentalism, but they're starting mm. to be open to the idea that you know, you really need to incentivize private individuals to be good stewards of the environment rather than just imposing blanket laws and hoping that that has the desired effect. Yeah. Yeah. So the contrast to a group like PERC would be an organization that does most of its work around like lobbying lawmakers in the state or in Congress to to impose the top down structure. Right. Yeah, exactly. OK, exactly. Oh, man. And the problem with like political environmentalism, which is that's that's how we describe you know, that just lobbying the government to make to make laws. Sure. One of the problems with that is you create a situation where there's, you know, there's winners and there's losers because you're not creating a compromise. You're just you're mm. imposing something mm. on the group. Right. So there's going to be someone who's unhappy. Right. The other issue is that it can be undone. Whatever laws have been passed can be undone with the next administration. So sure. so it's not as sustainable as a private solution. Man, okay. Yeah, I see how this is working. Thank you for listening to No Normal People this week. If you like what you're hearing, the best place to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts or Facebook.com where you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NoPeoplePod. That's K-N-O-W PeoplePod. Also, be sure to use our hashtags, NoNormalPeople and hashtag KNP. on a classic concept? Try the Whiskey Bench podcast. Start with a free pour of our complicated and fascinating world. Followed by an ounce or two of intellectual humility. Add a dash of philosophy, politics, or current events. Zest with fresh, spicy opinions. Garnish with shenanigans. Best served neat. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. This is a podcast where we seek to graduate the understanding of our world beyond meme culture. We find that a well-rounded cocktail has a lot in common with good conversation. It's all about balance and complimentary flavors. So join us every week as I present you with a new cocktail recipe paired with wide-ranging conversation. Follow us on social media at Whiskey Bench Pod and subscribe to the Whiskey Bench wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, always drink responsibly and cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty.
so uh, I don't want to make any assumptions, uh, but from our previous conversations, it seems like we're starting to uh, bleed into the territory of what we might say, like you're passionate about or what you think and talk about when you have nothing else to think and talk about. So this is the part of the show where I pretty much just open it up and we talk about whatever Kat is the most excited about and what she is like constantly talking about or thinking about or having conversations about. So let's just open it up and see where we go. Okay. Let's just talk about free market for a while, shall we? Let's talk about economics and like uh, what gets you so excited here and like how you kind of like grew up into this, what's the right word? Philosophical tradition. I was kind of raised in this thinking. My, as I had mentioned, my grandfather um, was sort of like a amateur student of economics mm. and had a pretty impressive library that is actually still in his home. My grandmother's still with us. So um, that mm. library still stands. Mm. So a lot of Hayek, a lot of Mises, a lot of Smith, you know, sort of those were like the standard bears that we were, you know, raised reading and hearing about and sure, you know, being yeah. quoted and stuff. Yeah. And with my, with my, my dad's side of the family, which I tend to be, I feel like I spent more time with them growing up. So I, I really identify with that side of the family. Politics is their sport and it sort uh-huh. of is my sport as well. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, every family holiday consisted of <laughs> my aunts and uncles arguing with each other across the table, all in agreement. Like they actually weren't really arguing anything, but everyone was yelling. (laughs) (laughs) Passions were running hot. And the conversation was always about sort of current events, you know, what this administration was doing, you know, what that Senator said the other day and like that sort of thing. So we, I was just kind of raised in that. What was it like being raised in, in that kind of house and that, uh, kind of milieu in San Francisco and San Jose, where where the culture is certainly not very that way. Yes, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I I mean, even at my private Catholic school, it was very progressive, and definitely, I would say. I mean, I hate I hate to use a label because it's divisive, but it was it was pretty left leaning, and so. Yeah, I kind of always felt like an outsider. And I also for a very long time felt like I couldn't really voice my opinions comfortably. I mean, I got to a point where I was sort of just adversarial (laughs) with teachers and professors because I'd sort of be the fly in the proverbial ointment because I would, you know, raise my hand during election and be like, but have you thought about this? (laughs) Or like, but what about this little like inconvenient reality that you're, you know, leaving out of this narrative and that sort of thing. So I I think I've, I've gotten to a point where I feel sort of less combative about it, but I definitely sort of inherited some of that fiery passion, like from my father and on this, this topic. And so, yeah, I kind of always felt like I was needing to like defend my thinking and defend these principles that I held dear yeah, it was kind of, I mean, I was so used to it and I still am so used to it that I don't really think about how difficult it was, but it definitely, I mean, if I had, if it would be strange to, to live in a community where I felt like a majority of the people shared my perspective, (laughs) that would be completely, that would be odd, honestly. Wow. And it's funny, even in Bozeman, I kind of thought it would be radically different, but I mean, Bozeman's a super progressive town too. Which there's a lot of there's a lot of beauty in that, you know. I'm I'm glad there's 
I think in Bozeman, it's a little bit more balanced and there's sort of like a better diversity of thought, which I really appreciate. Back home though, like in San Francisco, for example, I mean, it's almost, especially now, I mean, it's almost to like a militant degree. Like it's, I never put a don't tread on me sticker on my car there because I got, was worried I'd get windows smashed in. Like it's, it's that level. Wow. Okay. That was the, one of the first things I did when I moved here. I bought my truck and I put that sticker on my truck. I, was like, <laughs> yes. oh, I feel safe driving around. I finally get to express this. this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a Republican. I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify myself that way. I would describe myself as a classical liberal. I would say most people probably aren't familiar with what that means. So I sort of just say I'm a libertarian because that's kind of the closest ideology that's well known yeah it's like the closest party affiliation that you could tie it to yeah yeah exactly so i feel a little bit like i'm in better company here than i did back home okay (laughs) so we we say classical liberal is closer to libertarianism but like where where do you think some of the differences might be like if someone were to conjure up what they know of like the third libertarian party that exists in america like where do you differ even from like the party platform that's out there right now? Um, well, I always used to say that I strayed from that thinking when it came to foreign policy, because I used to think that sort of libertarians were a little naive and like kooky <laughs> in their in their approach to foreign policy, because I sort of felt like there were many sort of instances where it made sense to intervene in some way. Mm. And I could understand the idea of like maintaining the world order as, you know, of course now I, now, I mean, I have a hard time even finishing that sentence because I'm starting to not feel that way anymore. But, um, but But I used to be able to understand this idea that like there's an ideal world order and in order to maintain that status quo, there sort of needs to be dominant players that maintain influence. But I don't know. My thinking on this has kind of evolved because I've I've started to um I've started to think that I mean it's expensive, right? Like being the world police is expensive yeah, and it's kind yeah. of unsustainable mm. in a lot of ways. Mm. <sighs> well, it gets complicated because there's it trade-offs. Does. There's just very real trade-offs, yeah. you know, and yeah. having sort of you know, energy independence can maybe free us from having to be totally embroiled in, you know, conflict in the Middle East. And that's mm. a great thing. But mm. then there's sort of, but then there's trade-offs there, right? Um, environmentally. And so it's, uh, I don't know. No, I, I, it, yeah, absolutely. This, I, I feel where you're like bumping up against like this weird tangled web of, I mean, there's this thing, but then there's this because it, so it sounds like we started with, you think your, your bent would probably be less isolationist than like a, uh, a libertarian party ticket would present but at the same time you get to a point where it's like how much exactly is the responsibility of america to be the world police especially given like for good or for ill that's kind of what we were handed as our generation kind of steps up into different leadership roles it's like for generations before us america has kind of just like crafted its reputation as world police will help where we need to uh, let's get after it, you know? So yeah, yeah, I can see where that convolution comes in where like, it's, it's like trying to balance the scales a little bit. Like how do we have a healthy dose of this without going too far in the other way? Oh yeah. It's definitely complicated. And I think 
sort of, I'm a proponent of free trade. And I think that that's one way where you can incentivize sort of peace, right? Mm. By if you have a lucrative, if you have a system where people are trading and they're benefiting from that trade, most parties that are involved in that aren't going to want to undermine the stability that that trade brings, right? And so, so that, that serves as a disincentive to bomb your trading partner, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. So I, th- I, so I think like that's like an economic tool that can work really well. But then there, there are genuinely like bad actors, right? Like the Chinese Communist Party is committing like a genocide against their Uyghur people, you know? Yep. And there's dirty tricks involved with currency manipulation. And there are many instances in which they don't honor the trade agreements that they've signed. And so that's where you know, what, what do you do with that? You know, like that, that's, that's an instance where I think like some action does have to be taken. Um, sure. That's an instance where like the free world does have to say, we actually aren't going to tolerate this. And resorting to war is obviously, you, you know, a hot war. Nobody wants that. But whether it's economic sanctions or, you know, sort of something symbolic where you're helping Hong Kongers get a way to find a way to get here, mm, right? Mm-hmm, um, yeah. To escape sort of being under the thumb of the Communist Party. You know, there's sort of measures like that that I think maybe in a traditional libertarian view would be seen as an overreach. And in my opinion, I think that there's times where that kind of action is warranted. Sure. Yeah. Again, like you're getting into that. I, I love these kind of conversations where it's like, it could go this way, it could go the other way, or is there a third way some here, somewhere here in the middle? Especially like the concept of trade being a disincentive to like hot war. Like one of my, uh, my favorite thinkers that I follow his podcast pretty religiously, Jason Stapleton, he always talks about where goods cross borders, soldiers do not. Mm, that's a good line. Yeah, right. It's a good line. And that is something like I philosophically agree with and, and believe in, but like you're highlighting things get complicated really quickly. And it's like, (laughs) can you just keep it to the nice, like tweetable quip or how do we inject some of the nuance in there and actually like come down to a fruitful conversation on how to address the issues? I I love this idea of your family treating politics like their sport. Like it's, it's, it's what they do. So growing up in an environment like that, um, where politics was like the game we all played at Thanksgiving for good or yeah. ill, what have you learned about being able to navigate political conversations without them getting too hot or like resort to personal attacks and like attacks on individuals character and, and whatnot? Like what, how have you learned to navigate political conversations and still have healthy dialogue about the ideas? Yeah, that took time. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> My family, I mean, so everyone largely agreed. And so I would say that growing up, I actually probably had a more like dogmatic view and was a bit more like aggressive in my approach to sharing those ideas. Mm. And I mean, and as a little kid, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, but I would repeat things I had heard my dad say, you right. know, and yep. I'm sure if I like saw a highlight reel of that, I would cringe. But I think where I learned to be a bit more, to just take a different approach was with within my friend group, because virtually none of them shared my political views or my ideas on these things. Yeah, and yep. Alicia sort of did because we had a similar upbringing and, and you know, we're very similar in a lot of ways. But uh, sure. but aside from her, most of my friends either didn't think about this stuff or they 
were raised sort of in the opposite tradition. And so I would say I got kind of practiced at, there would unfortunately often late night parties would turn into like me and a couple people in a kitchen, like debating about these things. Oh you no. Know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and not, not in like an, not in like a hostile aggressive way, but like, I mean, it would be me trying to defend my ideas and, and maintain friendships. And so I had to, uh, I had to sort of learn to take sort of a, a softer tact. And I would say like now, especially having worked sort of in, in the think tank world where I'm working with these ideas and I've been in on the marketing side of things. So I'm learning how to message these ideas mm -hmm. and share them with a wider audience. So mm -hmm. that, that's been a good way to sort of learn how to change my approach and soften my language um, and not be divisive. And And now I've kind of gotten to a point too, where I feel like I like genuinely want, I think before I used to get into conversations and it was just, my goal was to defend my idea, but it wasn't necessarily to convince the other person to, to like come along with me and really see it. And, and uh. I think as I've grown older, I've realized like, I genuinely, you know, I've realized that there's actually a lot more common ground than I once thought there was. Sure. And most of us actually have sort of the same goal. We just have varying ideas of how to get there so sort of just like maintaining that perspective has helped me share these ideas in a way that's less combative mm. and i also realize a lot of people like didn't study economics and so there's some fundamental stuff that like maybe they just don't understand that's like a reality that we have to work with but they're not aware of that <laughs> right so yeah yeah <laughs> i've learned to sort of take a gentler approach because i actually would like to change minds i guess yeah well and and keeping in mind the fact <laughs> keeping in mind but like keeping in mind that there's like an actual human being on the other side of things there's an actual like individual mind that you can be meeting on common ground and then you're both looking at a map and you're saying like we both want to end up in the same place it's just there's like four different highways to get there and i think this one is the faster way or the most scenic way or like this one <laughs> saves on the most gas or whatever like <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of the way i think of it is let's make sure we kind of rendezvous in the same point before we start figuring out where our paths split because i'd rather talk about what we agree on and then kind of like what you're doing in your work is like you're getting down into that incentive structure and kind of flipping using leverage pulling people along instead of just trying to like push them down or just like defend your side oh yeah that's a good metaphor for it mm. pulling them along rather than yeah right them down just a push man okay so it, within this this larger question of like what are you passionate about is there anything else you would want to highlight we've talked quite a bit about like free market and like political conversation what else do you like to think about and talk about well, I love gardening. And oh, um, let's talk about gardening yeah. then. Yes, please. My mother has an incredible green thumb. And I mean, she has the garden she has now is sort of on the scale of like actual professional like farm. <laughs> like, wow. I mean, she has she has a greenhouse that you can drive a truck into. Uh, just two hu huge greenhouses. Yeah. I mean, she's producing an absurd amount of goods from this little plot of land. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so that sort of, she always was gardened my whole life and my grandfather had a small orchard. And so I kind of grew up around that, but I actually never had my own little plot to grow things until I moved out here. So I always had lots mm. of houseplants and I still do have a ton of houseplants, but this last season was my first time having like my own raised garden bed. And it was just, it was fun. 
there was so much I, I thought I knew that I didn't know at all. Um, mm. So it was definitely a learning experience, but it brought me so much joy. I, I, I love it. Oh, wow. That's so good. Uh, are there like particular plants you, you like to grow or like particular harvests you love to eat? Yeah. Well, you know, being a Californian, I was really excited to grow tomatoes and damn, that's hard to do out here. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I, I had a very hard time getting my tomatoes to take off. In fact, my last tomato plant is still, it's still kicking and it's still producing those great little, um, the sunburst orange cherry oh, tomatoes oh, that are yeah. just like candy. Yes. If I had to pick a candy, that would be my candy. They're so naturally sweet oh, and beautiful. Oh, um, you're making me think of my grape tomato out on the patio. I have this this beautiful yeah. grape tomato plant. Like first time I've ever like cultivated a plant and it gives me these tiny little like they're smaller than my fingertip is like the diameter of the grape tomatoes but oh my gosh they're so rich in flavor and oh candy. Candy's the right word for it. Right, they are. Yeah. I know. I mean, I never this poor little plant was so funny. It just kept it never produced much mm, at once. Mm. It was always, it was all very staggered. So I never like had <laughs> enough ripe ones to put in even a salad, but I would just kind of pop them like, you know, a little treat here and there. Absolutely. I mean, the whole thing looks like it's dead because we've had a couple very cold nights. I mean, it, we got a frost yeah. not too long ago right. and uh, there's no leaves, but by golly, it keeps producing fruit. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like I, it's kind of a mystery it's to holding me. I don't, on. Yeah. Yeah. It's holding on, but. Yeah, I grew, I had really good radish harvest this year and green beans. My green beans were off the hook. Oh, oh, nice. And then other things that like I tried to grow, my peppers never took off, which was a bummer. They they sort of did. A few of them produced, but they never really, they never got very big and they weren't very fleshy. So they were, that was kind of a bust. Oh, um, okay. Same with my eggplant and my zucchini. That, that was another one. I got one one zucchini off of this this thing but but the whole but the whole experience it was just fun like even if i didn't get to yield anything it was just i loved just getting to like putter around out there and tend yeah. to it. it makes me happy there's a satisfaction to it too once you once you get to pull like a vegetable into the kitchen and you're like that didn't exist before and i helped it i helped it exist i think that's yeah, so cool yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or like when I'm cooking a meal, like to be able to just go outside and like trim whatever herb I need like that. That's oh. just a great feeling. And, and a lot of these, I had just moved into this, the house I'm in now in Bozeman in February. So I didn't know what was planted in the garden. I had no clue what the garden was going to look like when it came in in the spring. And oh yeah, sure. There was a whole herb garden that oh. came in on its own, oh. which was quite, that was a hell, that was a really nice treat that, that made me super happy. And then, and then there were like volunteer garlic and sunflowers and all sorts of stuff that Whoa. like perennials that came back Oh, that were just kind of a fun surprise. That's so good. You mentioned back in the icebreakers, what your favorite smell was. I forget the, the, the flower that you mentioned, but is that something that would grow in Montana? Do you like to grow flowers in your garden as well? That's a good question. It is a perennial and it's a bulb. I bet I could grow it here. Mm. Freesia. So that's a whole other world that I'm just starting to learn about. Oh, flower gardening. Yeah, but yeah. I bet I could. It seems like here, though, a lot of sort of like the wildflower variety do really well. You know, like there's a lot of different types of poppies that people have right in their gardens and sunflowers and lupin and 
that sort of thing seems to be Cosmos. I grew a bunch of Cosmos this year, which I've had to learn to appreciate a whole new like host of plant life out here because <laughs> you know the the things that I can't really grow like succulents and cacti. So I've learned to true. I've learned yeah. to appreciate some of the other the other things that that can stand the cold temperatures. So right. I'm wondering if you have any other hobbies that you like to engage in just to like keep you active or I don't know. What what do you like to do? I mean, I love being outside. So that's was part of the draw to right. coming out here. Yeah. Check that off the list. Yeah. So backpacking is sort of my jam in the summer, which mm. it's funny because, you know, in California, I, I had my buddy Steph, my dear friend, she and I were backpacking partners. And I mean, we would go almost like every other weekend we were we were off somewhere, spent a lot of time down in Big Sur exploring that area. And, and then, and, you know, I kind of felt like, yeah, like I'm, you know, I'm outdoorsy. Like I get into the mountains, like I'm kind of, you know, and then I moved out <laughs> here and I was like, whoa, ego check. <laughs> There's a whole nother class of outdoorsmen holy, in Montana. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. I mean, almost <laughs> to a degree where it's like, calm down. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the backpacking thing, like in my mind, that was like a sport in and of itself. And then I moved out here and I realized like, that's just a conduit to get people to go get to that slab of ice that never melts that they're going to ski in July, you yeah, know, or yeah, yeah, <laughs> like whatever yeah. it is. So, so I realized like, that's not really like <laughs> a thing people do necessarily. It's just a part of some, you know, the other more extreme sports. It's, yeah. It's just a necessary fact of like you need three days to hike into the place you want to go fishing or something. You just happen right. to be backpacking <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Exactly. So that was kind of, that was funny. And then, and moving here, I used to do a lot of stuff by myself. I'd backpack and hike and camp and stuff alone mm, mm. a fair amount too back in California. And then I got out here and I thought these mountains compared to California, like California seems like a playground. Like yeah. maybe that's not the right word, but it seems like it feels very safe. And out here, I mean, I joke that there's like a thousand ways to die in Montana because, you know, if it's not grizzly bears that are like a very real thing that you have to be vigilant about, you know, then there's like avalanche season and in the spring, you know, there's just, <laughs> there's all sorts of things that you uh, have to yep. be, yep. you know, but it sort of forces you to have this deeper appreciation for these wild places. And I think it makes you feel more connected to the land too. Because mm, mm -hmm. you're just more aware and more vigilant. It definitely like fosters a really deep respect. But I had to I had to find backpacking. I had to find a partner to go and do all this stuff with when I first moved here. Right. And I didn't yeah. know anybody. That's actually how I met my boyfriend. I was like met him at the scoop. Which oh, is a fantastic yep. little dive bar. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I had like, it's kind of a funny story. I had gone, a coworker had invited me over to a little party she was having and met some of her friends and had heard that there was live music at this bar called the Hofbrau in town that night. It was like a Wednesday. And I, at one point, I just kind of like, hollered out to the room like does anyone want to go to the Hofbrau with me like I've never been there and <laughs> I heard there's gonna be music and this one girl who's become a very good friend Jill she raised her hand she's like I'll go with you and so we went and you know I just met her that night and she gave me the whole tour of the Barmuda Triangle which I didn't know about you know this the Barmuda Triangle <laughs> but it's the Hofbrau the Scoop and the Molly and you know it's these three funny little dive bars all in one parking lot yeah and so yep. we did the whole tour 
and we we closed at the scoop and my boyfriend his name's steve he was it was his birthday and all his friends had gone home because it was a wednesday but he didn't want to his birthday so he was just playing pool actually he was waiting to play pool and he said the next person who walks in i'm gonna play pool with those guys and so jill and i uh, walked in and so <laughs> wow. we got to know each other wow. and, and yeah and, and i was just sort of like i had mentioned that i was really wanted to go like take advantage of the season because it was so short and i was like terrified of what the winters were going to be like because mm. i had never experienced a winter before yeah. and you know i was kind of like eager to find someone to go backpacking with and he said he'd go and so i sort of took a risk and was like all right i'll go backpacking with this strange man that i with, don't know anything with this about. guy who plays like, pool oh my right god. oh yeah. my gosh cat <laughs> you know? jeez I know. I, I was like messaging my friends like that because we went that weekend. I mean, it might have been like three days later. It was like, okay, we're going into the Absorcas and I remember oh. messaging my friends and my sister. And I was like, so, okay, I'm going into this mountain range. We're headed to the Pine Creek Lake. Like, if you don't hear from me by Monday afternoon, like something's wrong. <laughs> like this guy probably killed me. Yikes. <laughs> and, Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and I remember then. actually... I drove us and when I was picking him up at his place, he was like finishing packing his bag and he grabbed a roll of duct tape. Oh. And I remember like oh. I saw that and I was like, oh. all right, that's one tally for the you're gonna die side of it. And uh I remember asking him, like, what's up with the with the duct tape, man? And he's like, Oh, you never know when you're gonna need it. And so anyways, I was a little nervous at oh, that point. Wow. But the weekend ended well. And, and you, uh, you got a backpacking up- partner and a boyfriend eventually yeah <laughs> i yeah i i held off the boyfriend part at first because i was like this is crazy sure. but you know a little more time yeah <laughs> a little time yeah it's like i just got here how is this happening but that anyway makes it a worked lot of out sense. oh <laughs> so good yeah. so i have the 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 weirdly fun privilege now to essentially just hand you one of your newest hobbies which is podcasting yes we <laughs> you and i are joining my good friend steven torna uh who has been a guest on this podcast before but you and i are joining the whiskey bench podcast as co-hosts that is right what we do you are. what do you how do you feel about this have you ever podcasted before what is it uh what are you looking forward to like going into a hobby of talking in public on the internet yeah, well, so no, I've never podcasted before. This is this interview right now is my first time, you know, sort of doing anything like this. Um Awesome. And yeah. And <laughs> it's definitely, I mean, honestly, it's not even like a world that I knew I was interested in. I mean, I listen to podcasts and mm-hmm. enjoy them, but it that was sort of that wasn't a route I was thinking of taking <laughs> sure. at yeah. all. But yeah, when Steven Torna reached out and said he wanted me to be a part of this project, I mean, frankly, I was really flattered and kind of honored. Steven Torna and I, we just have so much fun talking shop. He's become a good friend of mine out here. And another person that I met like randomly at a bar, like one of my, like my first month in Montana. Oh, nice. (laughs) I meet all my friends in bars. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. We bonded over Negronis. But anyway, I have so much fun talking shop with him. And so the idea of getting to do that with you and him and record it and share our thoughts with folks, mm. is it's exciting. Yeah. And I think it's going to, for me personally, I think it's going to sort of force me to refine my arguments and thinking. And I think it's just going to be a fun challenge. It's, yeah. it's another one of those things where it's like, you know, you're itching for a growth spurt and, you know, here's a scary way to scratch that itch. 
Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, instead of like moving geographically, you're kind of moving into a new activity or new way to express yourself because you got the email marketing down. You got the (laughs) you got the social media (laughs) managing all that. Let's just stack another one of these like Internet aspects of communication on top of it, shall we? Right. Right. Which so good. And it's funny, too, because I'm I'm not really like a digitally inclined person. Like I'm not. I wasn't like raised on the internet. Sure. I don't surf the internet. Mm. I'm not really a fan of my phone. <laughs> you know, like okay. I don't act, but I don't know. It's funny. I found myself, it's in my professional life. And, you know, now it's even a bigger part of my personal hobby life. So it's kind of funny. Wow. <laughs> Surprising. So listeners can go back and listen to my episode I did with Stephen Torna. Uh, he and I talked a lot about his unique passion for like mixology and drink recipes because he worked as a bartender for a good long while and uh he he loves that aspect of the show and we're going to present like a new cocktail recipe every week as kind of the feature of the episode he and i also talked about some entrepreneurship interests and the idea of him like building a furniture business all this kind of stuff and listeners to no normal people are obviously familiar with me and like what i kind of like to talk about I'm curious to know what you hope to bring to the whiskey venture. Like what, what kind of topics do you want to get into on a regular basis on that show? Well, unsurprisingly, I'd love to talk about current events and politics. <laughs> you don't say. I like to get yeah. into my sport. Yeah. <laughs> I think those trending topics of what ridiculous thing was said in the news today. Mm, sure. That points to like larger questions about societal trends and culture. And yeah, I'm kind of, I'm interested in exploring that. I think exploring sort of those bigger cultural questions with you and with Torna will be very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to be able to tie in sort of the historical relevance to some of these things um, or like the historical roots of how we got to where we are and some of the details that I think often get overlooked. This is going to be such a fun project. Like you and I met just in planning sessions for the podcast after Torna said you were joining and I was like, right on, more the merrier. Let's do this. And uh, oh my God, I've had so much fun today getting to know you and hearing more about like the way you grew up and kind of what got you to Montana. It's it's providing such good backstory and just like a good foundation for walking into the whiskey bench together. I think it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be a blast. I'm curious to ask to switch gears here a little bit. Um, I'm curious to ask how would you or how you would begin to describe the difference between your childhood and uh, your current life in a spirituality kind of way. Like you've mentioned that you uh, grew up in a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you would begin to describe like the difference in your spiritual life between childhood and now. So yes, raised Catholic, went to church every Sunday, Catholic school, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Yep. And I was pretty, by the time I got to high school, I was pretty turned off by the Catholic church, Mm -hmm. to be frank, mostly just because of the community that I was in, which was my only experience with what the Catholic world was like. And Uh, it just was sort of being at that school, there were only a handful of kids who came from broken homes and we were a little bit ostracized. And so that mm. I just saw a lot of hypocrisy within that community. Sure. Between like what we were hearing from the priests on Sunday and then the way kids and families would treat each other. And so I started going to a non-denominational Christian church on my own. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
after I got kicked out of college and moved home and got serious, um, right. I started going to this church. I mean, really, it was a 180. It was like all of a sudden I was like, wow. <laughs> like volunteering my time with this church and this community and got pretty involved and ended up actually being rebaptized. I decided to make that mm. commitment mm. myself. And so I was really kind of invested in that community for a while. Yeah. And then it's sort of an Achilles heel, but I'm kind of a, and it probably sounds obnoxious to say, but I'm, I'm sort of a contrarian by nature. And so like, as soon as, as soon as I'm in a community where I feel like there's kind of a consensus in thinking, uh, I just instinctively mm. start to kind of question things and turn on it almost. Yeah. And okay. so there were like six months where I, which is a whole thing I won't get into, but there was like about six months where I, I was living in Boise, Idaho with my sister. Mm-hmm. And she also got baptized again as an adult and attended a non-denominational Christian church and is raising her three daughters in that tradition. And it's beautiful. But like when I was living with her and I was going a part of her church community, which was sort of like the mega church thing with the skinny jeans, the (laughs) band, you know what I mean? Like it was just, it all just started to feel like it, I got the same sense of like, the, it just felt very superficial. And it reminded me sort of of the same thing that turned me off to the Catholic church mm. and that community that I was a part of. And yeah. it's not fair to say, you know, it's not the entire Catholic church, right? It's just, it was my little entree into it that I left a bad taste. Of in course. Yeah. Right. Yep. So anyway, so, so then I kind of, I sort of felt like I outgrew that community and now I've just been I consider myself a Christian and I believe in an intelligent creator, but I haven't, I probably haven't gone to church in a couple years at this point. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's something I've thought about maybe trying to find a community here or just test the waters and go to a few different churches. Yeah. It's sort of, it was once very much a part of my like weekly routine and outward active expression is no longer like a part of my my routine. Wow. But the faith is there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's just oh. different. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for that. I'm so intrigued by people's spiritual stories, especially like being able to contrast the way you grew up to how you are now. Like, I think it says a lot about a person, like depending on where their story goes. And I, I can so relate to that kind of ooh, that like contrarian nature a little bit where you get to a point where you kind of start rebelling against the group think uh, happening in the community and it's like but we have have, yeah. we, have we actually talked about this though can we ask a question or two mm. <laughs> oh man yeah i can totally relate to that so thank you i really appreciate yeah. you being open about that i think that's great absolutely mm. well are there any particular morning or evening routines you like to follow yeah. In the mornings, every, every morning, God, I feel like I'm a one note pony. Every morning I listen to the John Bachelor show, which is okay. <laughs> this great radio program by John Bachelor, who I just adore. He's a very bright man. And it's sort of a rundown of the news of the day before. It's an evening program. Mm, okay. It airs on the radio in the evening. So then the next morning I listen to like, I listen to it on Spotify and while I make my breakfast and have my tea and have my quiet mellow time where my brain turns on. Mm. Yeah. And then I guess evening routine, I come home, get my dinner started. Um, I love to cook. 
So I cook pretty much every night of the week and then usually do like an hour or two of some kind of fusion of Pilates and yoga most mm. weeknights. Okay. That's kind of my unwind time. I'm conscious of the fact that we're nearing the end of our time here. So I have some closing questions for you, kind of checking in on where you are currently okay. kind of with like what you're consuming. So we'll start with what you're reading right now. Well, I just finished uh, one book the other day called A Mad Catastrophe mm. by Jeffrey Waro. I think that's how you pronounce his last name, W-A-W-R-O. But um, okay. it's about World War One from the perspective of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, mm. which basically it was a complete <laughs> I mean, they just like... <laughs> They just arrogantly stumbled their way into war and dragged a large part of the world with them. And right. it is pretty horrific. I have a very sort of morbid fascination with like war and famine and that sure. sort of thing. So anyway, so that book is great. But then I'm also reading, I'm about halfway through Michael Schellenberger's newest book called Apocalypse Never. And he is Ooh. an environmental writer. He has a pretty impressive resume. I mean, he was invited to testify on the IPCC's like special report. Um, so he mm. knows his stuff. Basically, the purpose of this book is to take the environmental alarmist arguments across, you know, everything from deforestation to climate change to other issues um, and sort of explain why the alarmism is not only not valid, but actually like harming the movement itself. So that's what you're reading right now. What about, what are you currently listening to? Let's start with music. So what, what, what do you bring up when you open Spotify? Oh, that's a hard question because I really enjoy music and I listen to a lot of it a lot of the time. I mean, kind of everything from like funk and soul and mm. house and disco to like classic rock and metal and like Ethiopian jazz, even <laughs> there's kind of I got a lot of stuff all over the place. <laughs> yes, it's it's a lot. Yeah. What about podcasts? What are the podcasts you're listening to right now? I know you're an avid podcast listener like me, so maybe like what are like the top five in your feed? Oh well, John Batcher show doesn't really count, I guess, because it's really a radio program. But that obviously, obviously, I mentioned I listen to that every day. Yep. Potomac Watch, which is the Wall Street Journal opinion page podcast. Um, so I, that's another daily one. The Three Martini Lunch, which is produced um, <laughs> by National Review. And I just love the title. <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay. And so, so all of them are really like daily news digest basically. And then you guys, you and Torna actually just turned me on to Sam Harris, which was a name I mm, heard of for yes. quite some time, but I never really explored. Right. And I'm digging his his content a lot. So that's that's the latest edition. Okay. Then uh, what are you watching right now? Are you much of like a streaming show or movie person? Not really. I mean, I'll watch, you know, the occasional like Seinfeld rerun here <laughs> or, you know, yeah. Top Gear UK. I love, I love that show, but okay. that's like not even produced anymore. So right. I just, there's like oh. 24 seasons. So I'll watch <laughs> those. But I did watch a really 
really just like deeply moving documentary a few months back, which kind of set me off on this World War One kick. Mm. But it's called, and you'd probably actually really appreciate it. It's called They Shall Not Grow Old. Oh, and I've heard um, of it. I it's, it's on my watch list for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah, it's incredible. They take all of this actual footage and they like colorized it and corrected the audio. And mm. so it's just such a neat glimpse into that period of time. Mm. And the gentleman, it's, you know, it's, it's from sort of the British soldiers experience and the gentleman that they interview, you know, some, this is going to sound weird, but like some people like their heart melts when they see like a little puppy or a baby or something, but like a sweet, old, bright man is just like, (laughs) I think it's because of my connection with my grandfather. Of course it is. Oh, yes. Yeah. These wonderful, brave men that are just gentlemen and so bright and have led such an incredible life like i just i loved i love that documentary it was moving that's so good yeah (laughs) my goodness uh cat we've been so many places in this conversation and i've loved every minute of it it's been so fun to get to know you thank you so much yes thank you this has been this has been a new experience and a fun one oh i'm so glad I'm going to give you the last word and I'm going to let you read our favorite quote for the podcast. Okay. The only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. 